Divisive issues contains language unsuitable for children and adults and anyone who wants spoilers. And they're probably never going to do those Superman cat issues because Sly hates me. So just, just don't listen to this. Okay? Just don't. Welcome to Divisive Issues, a comic book podcast where we talk about comic books. I'm Ryan. I'm Sly. I'm Phil. And I'm Daryl. Yay, we made it again. <laughs> Somehow, we've met at this juncture. <laughs> so, uh, our our comic this week is part two of our spooktacular Halloween <laughs> special. Dracula's back? Yeah, Dracula's back. Can't he's, wait. He's green and he's called Swamp Thing now, but <laughs> Dracula. Can I just say, I've heard about Swamp Thing for years probably from you fuckers but like so much and i had never even i didn't know what he looked like i didn't know what he was you could probably guess he's a big swamp i i had mentally associated him with the creature from the black lagoon me too (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i have i felt that way too before i read swamp thing he's very inspired by that kind of uh creature uh, but uh we're doing swamp thing by al moore this was al moore's first work at dc uh, he was known for working on British comics like Judge Dredd in the, before this. He did Dredd? Uh, he, I don't know if he did Judge Dredd specifically, but he did work on the comic Judge Dredd was featured in, uh, 2000 oh, okay. AD, uh, which I think it makes probably likely he worked on Judge Dredd. Uh, I should look that up. Man, that'd be kind of funny reading. Or if, like, uh, someone, can someone fact check this asshole? He's just <laughs> making these claims and no one even fact checks. We should one day do Mark Millard doing uh, Judge Dredd's work and, and see how Edge Lord is compared to his later <laughs> stuff. But either way... Uh, this was his first DC work, and this before Watchmen, before V Data, before it became the Alan Moore you know today. He was just a really good writer that uh, DC picked up because he liked his British work. Wait, I want to give some lore. I never get to give lore. All right, give some lore. So when uh, during this era, it's it's like called like the British Explosion or the British Invasion is the actual term. <laughs> the British Explosion. Yeah, that's, the British Invasion. That's the that's XXX parody of it. Yeah. <laughs> Where Karen Berger was an editor for DC who she basically is the reason why Vertigo exists. And yep. this whole this whole uh, Swamp Thing led to the creation of Vertigo basically. Yeah, so she's the one that brought over like Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore and Peter Milligan over to DC from like Sly was saying 2000 AD. And... It's still DC, but all of the titles that they wrote, like Animal Man and Swamp Thing, eventually became Vertigo. Yeah. So this is, uh, like, even though the issues themselves have DC written on them, the trades have Vertigo on them. Like this, I was I was wondering, like, this. you just said DC, and I was like, there's no way this is a DC comic. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it to me. Yeah, so what happened is, like, when books like Sandman and Swamp Thing became super popular... And they realized that there was a market for this, like, more, much more mature and, like, literary style of comic writing. They made it a whole separate imprint where you didn't have to follow the same rules as DC or the same continuities or anything like that. So, like, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, this is my favorite Alan Moore book, does a lot where Batman does show up from time to time or, like, the Justice League will be an unissue. But it's... Yeah. What is Batman going to talk to Swamp Thing about? (laughs) Well... Swamp Thing is an Earth elemental that like decides to take. Well, let me explain what uh, what they, what Almore did with Swamp Thing first. Okay, if if that. you want super in depth analysis of Alan Moore's big change to Swamp Thing, the Comics Canon did an episode on it, 
and they go into a lot more detail than we're going to, but I'll let Sly sum it up. <laughs> well, basically, uh, Len Wein was the original uh, writer for Swamp Thing, and he made Swamp Thing a generic creature of the Black Lagoon. And uh, basically, a guy was like caught in an explosion and fell in a swamp and then like became the Swamp Thing. Yeah. And... Sounds like every other fucking superhero. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was hit with an explosion, and now I'm a spider. The radiation. But uh, but uh, Lane Wien, the original uh, creator of Swamp Thing, was the guy who actually called Alan Moore and said, come to DC, write my book for me. And, <laughs> Do and, my job. No, but like he's like saying, I, like, I really like your work, please. I want to give you a book at DC. That I think, and I think Swamp Thing would be a good fit. And what Alan Moore did was he basically revealed that when the guy got to explosion and turned to Swamp Thing, that's not actually what happened. What happened was he the, the man died... And the, the, uh, the, his basically like I forget like his DNA or something seeped into the. Um... He was working on this chemical late one night, yeah. <laughs> and basically the chemical when it, it was like it was supposed to it's a biorestorative formula where it's supposed to like help plants grow forever to cure like world hunger, and what it did was it seeped into his body so the plants kind of took on his consciousness. Yeah. So he woke up thinking he was Alec Holland, but he's actually just like a plant simulacrum. So like his body has fake organs. Like so he has a pumping heart, but only because his body thinks he's supposed to. It doesn't actually do anything. Yeah, it started hmm. out as um quickly shade like I'm a monster, uh like Ben Grimm or what another character like Hulk. But basically basically what happened in Al Moore's run was he realized Alec Holland was dead. I'm I'm a guy that thought he was Alec Holland, and basically the story, a lot of Alan Moore's runs, is him learning how to let go of his human side and embrace uh, this Earth elemental he became, basically. I like yeah. the idea that Alan Moore came in and he's like, no, this guy's dead. Like, he's gone. In his <laughs> second issue. With Don Blake. <laughs> no, he's dead. That's kind of what Alan Moore does, though. He always deconstructs every book he writes on, in a lot of ways. Well, I have to say, that, like, when I was reading this, because not knowing what to expect, it seems like Swamp Thing is, like, He's like an he's like a narrator or observer of other stuff more than he is the main character. Like, yep. it it's like Alan Moore's like I want to tell this cool story. Swamp Thing's gonna watch. Like that's no, that's, that's definitely what... like that's part of one of his main themes, especially this part of the book. So we're doing issues forty to forty two, which of volume are... two of in the eighties. Yeah, and this is uh, about halfway through his run. So about halfway through, what he did was he introduced the character of John Constantine and what. Basically, John Constantine did was, like, led Swamp Thing around the country and was like, look at this fucked up shit. And, like, it would be, like, vampires or, like, zombies or, like, all different types of horror elements. And through it, he would have Swamp Thing push his limit as an Earth Elemental and, like, help him develop new abilities. So, like, in this story, before we started, he had just learned that he could put his consciousness back into plant life and regrow his body if he was to die. So, like, this is this story's right at the peak of him being like, I'm not human at all. Like, I have to redefine what it means to be alive. And it's really fucking good stuff. <laughs> I, it was so it was so surprising and cool to me that I want to read the rest of Swamp Thing so bad now because oh, I just didn't so expect good. it to be I didn't expect it to be like this. And I also haven't read any Alan Moore in so long. I, I was actually thinking yesterday, I'm like, I read uh Watchmen pretty recently. That was uh oh that was Killing seven joke. years ago. <laughs> yeah. Killing joke. Oh, and Killing Joke, right, right, right. But, like, I, I originally read Swamp Thing because I was complaining about how Alan Moore always has rape in it. And somebody was like, well, his Swamp Thing doesn't have any rape. Oh, except for the part where Swamp Thing's consciousness is flying through space and a sentient satellite rapes him repeatedly for thousands of hours. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? 
<laughs> so I went back, and that's Comics. that's in like his second or third to last issue. He gets so close to not using rape, <laughs> but I read his run as like a, I gotta see what this weird thing is, and it floored me. It's just absolutely amazing. I'm actually I'm not worried, but I I don't think our uh, narration, our like going through the story is gonna come off across like as well as the story does itself because of the way Alan Moore writes. Like it's kind of like trying to narrate Watchmen is like. You're not gonna you're you're not gonna get really the the feel of it because he constantly goes to the same like to a, a certain line or panel that he just keeps repeating over and yeah. over. And, and you know, yeah. well, it's like it's like trying to describe any kind of book that has a certain sense of style or prose uh, yeah. in yeah. its writing, where it's like it's real hard to be like this is really good and interesting because this is repeating without reading it yourself. Well, I, I'm glad yeah. that we started with the Killing Joke. Alan Moore, like as our first Alan Moore book of comparing like how hard it is to adapt his style. And I think we talked enough about like where that you just can't do it without just reading it. And like, I think that'll bleed through into this episode quite a lot. Yeah. I yeah. think this, this comic, like a lot of Alan Moore works, we're going to do, uh, you should read it before we, uh, listen to us narrate what happens in it. Yeah, I would recommend. I it. always, always, always bring up the Watchmen scene with fucking Doctor Manhattan on the moon, but or on Mars. But I, I, it's like quintessential in my mind of like something that you, you have to just experience by reading the comic. Yeah, like, talking yeah. about it, putting it in film doesn't, like it just doesn't capture it. Speaking of the comic, let's. Well, one thing I want to mention <laughs> is also the art, because the art is Stephen Bissett. Is it Bissett? Uh, with, say, with, no, I guess, just, with uh, John Totalbin doing the inks, and except for the second part, which is Alfredo Alcala, and I love Stephen Bissett's art a lot. I mean, did you guys like the art? I liked it. I, I liked it. I didn't really. <laughs> Not really. I the thing I thought was really cool. Where I was like, I I can dig this. Is that the panels on each of the pages kind of like? None of them are orthogonal. Everything's always like at a weird angle, especially when yeah. the action starts. And then everything's kind of like slanted or skewed. That's awesome. There's a lot. There's uses of like circles and just a lot of angles in the work. That's really cool. But I I wasn't that impressed by the guy's art itself. I I feel like he has a couple zooms in zoom ins on faces, and I I wasn't digging it. I was like, no, this isn't a good face. Okay, I mean that's, that's fair. like some some more of like the horror stuff, like how he draws Swamp Thing. That's great, but it's yeah. more just like the regular people didn't really get like I. They didn't seem like people. They look like these like cartoon masks. It's weird. They do have weird faces sometimes. Yeah, yeah. a lot of a lot of I feel like a lot of uh, horror artists have this problem where they draw the horror stuff better than the real people stuff. This is also yep. very, uh, I don't want to say typical, but this is the kind of style that most of the Karen Berger era art has. Like, if you've read Sandman, there's a lot of art. Like, I'm not exactly the same, but, like, in a similar kind of tone and shading. And, like, I'm a big fan of that style, but it, it's not for everybody. All right, so, Phil, can you start off this comic? Sure. <laughs> so, the first issue we read, issue 40, um, the cover has a wolf howling at the moon smeared with blood. It's a like blood a red moon, too. Yep. Yeah, and Swamp Thing just hanging out, looking at the wolf. He, he looks like he's gonna go <laughs> grapple the wolf. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, exactly. Makes it sound like he's chilling. Like, oh, Swamp's just hanging out, drinking a beer, uh, <laughs> watching TV. Um, and the first scene is at a supermarket, and you get the the theme of the comic from the first line, where it says the music system hums Moon River beneath its breath, and she wonders briefly why women's lives should be punctuated with blood, and. Yeah. 
basically she's shopping at the supermarket and getting uh, it's, a, it's an like, unnamed woman so yep we, we don't just know call who her, she is yes just woman and she's getting she's buying like uh pads like for menstruation and... uh there's also there's an ad for phil which they refer to as a disposable douche <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's it's like it's like this big it's plastered on a building, which I thought was weird. It's like, do douches advertise? I mean, companies that sell douches advertise. <laughs> Phil, do you advertise? <laughs> douches do <Hey>. advertise. <laughs> yeah, have you heard of Device of Issues, guy? <laughs> um, so she's shopping, and you see like a, an ad for um, knives, and it's like, here's good news for housewives. And then the picture for the pads is like sanitary napkins, Feminex for freedom. And there's a woman like running in the fields. But as she's shopping, um, there's like a, a cut to another scene where it says long ago the Penamaquat women were taken each month by their grandmothers and confined in the Red Lodge. The lodge stood upon stilts that its dark and sullen female power should not taint the earth. And basically, while she's shopping, we keep cutting between her buying these like feminine products and the Red Lodge where it seems like these women were – at that time of the month, like chained up, they they yeah. couldn't stand or lie down. They were not allowed to touch anything. They, they were, were fed, fed food, from these, yeah, from, from these sticks stick. by the old women of the tribe, and and we get this this black panel with just blood splatter and it says all she can imagine is their anger, and this becomes like a recurring theme now. As she's going home, she sees the disposable douche, uh, and. <laughs> Their anger and darkness turning, and it zooms in on the blood splatters. And as it zooms in more and more, it looks more and more like a face, angry face forming. Yeah. And each time we go to, like, again, this is kind of hard to describe, but each time we go to that face of the blood splatter on the black background, it, we get more of the anger narration, like their anger and darkness turning. And unreleased. even the lettering, it's getting, like, the actual words are getting bigger and bigger. And, and it's yeah. like connecting the moon, you know, the cycle of the moon and the woman's menstruation cycles. And it says, like, they were in this cottage, unable to touch anything. They're, like the men feared the uh, woman's uh, touching anything during that period, and uh, they were unable to even see the moon during that time. And uh, their yeah. anger at, that, at that, not being able to see the moon and stuff. Their anger in, in darkness turning, unreleased, unspoken. Its mouth a red wound. Its eyes hungry, hungry for the moon. Yep. Yeah, hungry like the wolf. <laughs> and she's <laughs> as she's walking home. We're talking about all this like female anger and like power. And she's walking home seeing uh, these ads targeted towards women, an adult bookstore where numb-eyed women stare through zippered leather masks. And she's like, I, the good wife goes home to prepare her husband's table. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I, I didn't really notice until just now that's so interesting about Alan Moore is he, can, he comes from England and writes this, like, writes this run. And he introduces so much history of America into this book. Like, here he has all this Native American imagery. And, like, mm-hmm. soon we're going to see a lot of, like, Civil War era themes. And that's so fascinating to me that, like, he comes from England and does more with American history than I think anyone at DC had done up to this point. I've noticed, yeah. that, I've noticed that a lot of British writers. Uh, one of my favorite uh, runs by, uh, is by a British writer called Peter Milligan. You mentioned him. And his first story arc in uh, Shade of Changing Man is about the JFK assassination and how it affected America. And it's interesting how British writers are able to tap into uh, American history and how it affects our culture more than a lot of American writers do. Do you think maybe yeah. we kind of take our history for granted and Definitely. don't see it as like an interesting narrative? Yeah, because it's just like, oh, it's just what happened. Whereas like, I think a British person looks at it and it's like, well, how did this shape the American people? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And also the fact that 
we we do a kind of harp on stuff like the American Civil War, like it's one of the most like mythicized parts of American history. But we fo- we we focus on very specific things with it. Civil War, World War Two, like we focus. Yeah, we romanticize spe- very specific, like the action parts. We're like, and then we freed the slaves and the at, at Gettysburg and yeah, like, things where like America was doing what was right, what was necessary. Yeah. Yeah, but we focus a lot less on the social implications of things. Yeah, um, so Except like, hey, what do we do to the Native Americans? <laughs> or what, yeah. what is their history? So when they when they talk about uh, uh, them being angry at the moon, it cuts to a picture of the moon and Swamp Thing making out his girlfriend from the moon as the big splash. Page. This this was really weird to me. Like, it's it's like this white haired hot girl making out with this moss man. Okay, I need <laughs> to give a little bit of backstory in this. Abby and Swamp Thing is honestly easily in my top three favorite comic book couples. But the way it's, it's hard to see it out of context because so much of the run leading up to it is she's like terrified of him. And like slowly as he's coming to grips with losing his humanity, she is also bringing out his human side, like in the run leading up to this. And like, they, I think it's the first annual or maybe it's the second annual as weird as this sounds their first sex scene is the most beautifully written sex scene I've ever seen in comic books. <laughs> and it's really, it's really weird. Like it's, it's really, it's like you were saying with Elmore, it's really hard to explain why it's so masterfully written and just taking two or three issues out of context, the creepiness and like the weirdness of this like young, beautiful woman making out with this swamp monster. That was a major theme at the beginning that the reader at this point has made peace with. That, okay. like, seeing it taken like this is, is very strange. I, I do yeah. think uh, the, the thing I really love about the way he writes the two of them is uh, a lot of times when you show romance in early earlier comics and a lot of fiction still to this day, you just have to talk about how much they're in love and love and love and love. While uh, Abigail, uh, Abby and uh, Swamp Thing have, actually have, like, funny lines to each other and charming moments. I wanted to bring that up that it's so cool. In just these three issues, you get a really good grasp on their relationship and it's because they have dialogues with each other. They're like, oh, what yeah. do you think of this? Or it's like, she asks him just things about what he feels about himself. Like, he can reanimate himself pretty much anywhere. So yeah. she, they, like, talk about him just coming out of the ground somewhere and, like, how, like, interesting that is. And yeah. it's cool to have a couple that's doing that instead of just, like, being all physical or talking about their their potential future it's like because couples hang out that's what they do yeah, yeah most of the time they just talk about other things besides themselves and that's yeah. what I, that's what i mean about like even this is two pages and you guys are already like this is a cool relationship you know and like it's a swamp monster and a girl with like long white hair normally it would be so weird but alan moore just like makes it work right away there, there's one there's one thing that is relevant to the story where she's talking to him and says you know what you don't ask me to feed you or tidy the swamp or iron shirts, and I get fresh flowers all year round. You're just the sort of person I imagined marrying when I was little, except, you know, not green or with all the patches of fungus. But it kind of sets up this, like, there's, we're talking about feminine expectations or the expectation, societal expectations of women, and she does not have to do those things for Swamp Thing. Um, yeah. And then we cut, we cut immediately to Kenneth Cook, Maine, where we have a, a traditional, I guess, Situation old school, where, old school kind of, like, yeah, exactly. yeah. like and of a Homer like, Simpson type husband and a good housewife, which is the woman we saw at the, uh, the shopping mall, and she's I like mean, serving dessert, and yeah. the guy's he, like, no more cookies for Joni here. She's still trying to put take off the baby weight, even though it was two years ago. 
Yeah, just being a complete asshole. And at the same time, he actually makes fun of the Indian Lodge that was here. He's like, ah, yeah, Indians sent their squaws here when they got cranky around that time of the month. And I don't blame them. Ha, 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 And yeah. at the same time, the anger and darkness turning keeps happening. And that face looks very much like a face now. The blood splatter. Yeah. And you see uh, the women getting fed again with, like, these sticks. Um, and at the same time... Because they, she... they couldn't touch them, so they fed them with sticks and stuff, like, at a distance. Yeah. And even she... Uh, she starts to get like nauseous and panicked and anxious, um, and she starts to look at the moon. Yeah, and yeah. we again have that line where she's hungry for the moon. Something soft and insistent seems to rise in her throat, pushing its way up from inside her. And she turns from the window and shivers, swallowing hard. And she makes the coffee. And after the visitors have gone, Roy remarks that her eyebrows need plucking. And that night she sleeps facing the wall. And then it just keeps cutting to her like in this shithole life with a shithole husband and all her. these feminine products are like yeah. sprinkled around the, yeah. the words yeah. Yeah. as time passes and she has this kind of I see why Daryl doesn't like the art sometimes like the faces are weird but he tries to use like a one unidirectional shading to apply yeah. uh, like uh, space to her face or uh, to give it depth but it it doesn't come across that well yeah all the next day, her stomach aches as if something savage and restless were curled there. Something that shifts and twists, impatient, impatient with its incarceration. Something growing. Then Swamp Thing shows up here, and she's outside now, and she's just like, and the man comes out yelling, "Well, you're supposed to have dinner ready half an hour ago." And uh, she's like, "Go away from me!" And he starts saying, "Oh, PMS, right? You women, I've had enough of this crap. You want to fight?" And then you know, not fight like physically, like argument. You want to have an argument? That's... Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah. And then we get that line one more time. That's one thing to clarify. Like, this guy isn't, like, an abusive husband. He's just, like, a typical oblivious douchebag. Well, he even says when he's talking to her about the Indians, he's like, you know, the he's like, oh, yeah, the Indians used to be here with their squaws or whatever. But, like, she would know more about that than me. Didn't you read a book about that or something? And, like, doesn't even listen for her answer. Like, he's even mocking her for, like, she obviously brought this information to him. And he was like, yeah, that's pretty funny. But yeah. it is worth, but it is worth uh, necessary to point out. This isn't like an extreme abusive relationship. This is just right. what, what yeah. a lot of people probably had in, in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, a traditional like housewife husband situation where he's expecting a lot from her, and she just has to sit there and take it. And yeah. then for one last time, we get the line: "Their anger and darkness turning, hungry for the moon." And she starts falling over, and out of her mouth comes, comes a, a snout, <laughs> a snout, and it just bursts out of her skin. <laughs> This giant fucking werewolf with long hair. Yeah, yeah. she like sheds her skin through, and, and uh, you, you can see her her female skin on the ground. Like uh, it's just like flat, like a discarded like jacket, all wrinkled. Yeah. yeah, it comes out of like nowhere here, but like in the bigger narrative, this was like the kind of thing that kept happening of like this crazy supernatural thing coming out of the mundane Americana. Yeah, and like Daryl said before, as this like crazy stuff starts happening the panels get really, like, um, angled. So it's, like, this centerpiece where he's trying to lock the door and we get these sharp, um, triangular panels. He, run, he runs from her and runs aside and then locks the door. Yeah. I do want to point out that he's like, Phoebe, stop this. I'm calling the police. Like, she's a wolf monster. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. such a ridiculous thing to I say. Like, he says, you hear me? Yeah. Like, they'll <laughs> speak to her. Phoebe, stop this crazy thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just yelling for help. Anyone help me? She, and she's chasing him and Swamp Thing shows up. And he's like, he, uh, he passes, passes out because Swamp yeah. Thing's too much for him. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you have a werewolf trying to attack. You watch him to the werewolf, and then you went to the backyard, and then there's a giant green swamp monster there. Like, 
It's kind of understandable. I know. I know. Yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't criticizing him. I just thought it was funny that he yeah. runs into Swamp Thing and he's like, "Oh." <laughs> and they have a really cool scene where there's like a standoff between Swamp Thing and the werewolf, and you have a, a panel with one of his eyes and a panel with one of her eyes, and it says, "In my mind, I hear my own voice speaking, saying, I am of the earth. What are you?'" And in my mind, another voice answers, "I am woman. Stand not between me and my wrath." Uh, he can sense the elemental energy in her being as strong as his. But uh, he feels like he doesn't have the authority to stay her hand, but he, but he feels like he should anyway, just to keep him from murdering her husband. So yeah. this is kind of like the powerful theme of, like, he says, I don't have the right, the authority to stay her hand. So he's like, you're you're like me. You're some sort of, like, spiritual, like, spiritual, you know, supernatural thing. And the human in me wants to stop you from killing this man, but, like, the natural balance makes me not want to. Yeah. Yep. And they fight a little. I mean, not really. She throws him because he's like, it's not my place of power. This is hers. Yeah. So, you know, this is her, which the lodge was. Um, she's about to rip his head off. And he's like, I loved you. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. Her husband's and, head off. Yeah. Right. Sorry. And she, she says, uh, manic stench of his fear is in her nostrils. She knows without surprise that he has sold himself. Wretched man. Pathetic man. She draws back her paw. One blow will remove the top of his head. Ugly man. Cowardly man. And still, in the end, she cannot bring herself to do it. She understands at last the nature of woman's curse, and she shrieks her despair at the moon-bleached sky. And then, so she, like, doesn't kill him. She's howling at the moon. And it's just her, it's just her uh, uh, in her impotent female rage, just smashing everything, especially the greenhouse, the mailbox, and the car. <laughs> I'd like to think that that's Sly's commentary, that it's her impotent female rage and not the theme of the book. But like, but like, but like, fuck you. But like, it's basically because like she can't, even though she has all the rage inside her, like she can't bring herself to hurt her husband. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and that's why they said before that she understands the nature of woman's curse. Like she doesn't want to do it, but the the rage inside her is so great, and she basically just runs through the town, seeing you know fucking bridal stuff being sold. Um, and she knows that there is no escaping from the Red Lodge. Yeah, and, and the, the Red Lodge is what that place where the women were kept in. When they were uh, basically, uh, you know, to keep their power away of, uh, away from the men when they're menstruating, and because they would be tainted, uh, and basically now she's making the connection that the whole society that man has set up is basically the Red Lodge to keep yeah. women under control. Yeah, and it, and it goes back to that one more time, which is another awesome panel where you have a woman splattered in red um, with all these panels of the wolf running, and it says they were kept there in the dark, squatting with nothing to dwell upon the fact. that but beyond the fact that they were unclean, even the touch of their shadow would sour the land, blighting the crops that grew there. I mean, that's a thing we see in a lot of major religions. Yeah. Yeah, th- that actually did happen. That's in the Bible that you need to take a woman outside of the town yeah. until yeah. she's yeah. done menstruating. And if she gets blood on anything, you have to get rid of it. And it's yeah. something you don't really think about. Like, well, since it's so far from, from our past, like, uh, this character is, like, focusing, like, how we would have felt to be in a lodge when you're in pain and agony uh, and like nobody would want to touch you and they'll feed you with sticks like it's, it's like something we don't think about in a society like how that would have felt like to be a woman that time and age but, like, Alan, yeah. but Alan Moore draws the parallel so well where like if she's menstruating her husband doesn't value her opinion marketing is like do everything you can to hide it like use this douche and like all these sanitary ways use this film yeah so it's like all these things to make it so invisible yeah. That, like, no one knows. So you're so, like, and that parallel is drawn so powerfully in this issue. And she goes basically smashing through, like, a uh, dirty magazine shop. Yeah. And then um, Swamp Thing catches up with her and is like, let me help. And she again says, I am woman. I seek release from this stifling place that has been built for me. 
And he's like, I can't give you that. And then she says, then give me death. And she runs towards the supermarket, and Swamp Thing doesn't try and stop her. She smashes through. This is what I wanted to bring up earlier that I was really surprised about, is because going into this, and all I knew is Swamp Thing was a big green guy, uh, I I was used to superhero comics. It's like, all right, he's going to fight the world. They have to fight. And it's so weird that he just stands there, and he's like, I feel for your pain. I'm sorry I can't do anything. And that she's talking back to him about what she's feeling. And she's trying to, like, abate her hunger. And it's... It's... Like, we talked about before. It's just... It's really refreshing to be like, wow, this is actually, like... It's two people kind of talking in the midst of all this action. Instead of the action centered around, like, who's stronger than the other. And in this story, he's the first person to listen to her about anything. That's why we talked about in, um... Spider-Man Rain when Ryan said, oh, it's okay, he's kind of a big severe fight at the end because that's what people expect. In mm-hmm. the 80s, people were already defying that, that expectation. So oh, Alan yeah. Moore, though. Like, most people are not Alan Moore. Yeah, well, that, no, but there was a true. lot of, there was a lot of, like, that whole British invasion era is a lot of this kind of thing. Where you're I like, think you yeah. mean the uh, British explosion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you're, like, expecting this and they turn everything on its ear. And, like, that's one of the reasons why late 80s DC is my favorite era of comics that exists because there's so many things that you're like, Wait, you can't do that? That's not how it's supposed to work. Yeah. And the climax of the story, she smashes through um, the supermarket, again, smelling all these things that are being sold for women, and she says, The odor of women's lives grown irrevocably stale. The Red Lodge. The Red Lodge is everywhere. Why does no one see it? Why do they shuffle so passively into that darkness? She tears at it with lacerated paws, trying to rip away its impersonal striplet mask and reveal the fetid shadows beneath and her useless, useless fury. And then she sees, like from the beginning of the story, that rack of knives... That's, that says, here's good news for housewives. And all the knives are, like, pointed out in a fan. Yep. Yeah. It's a poor kind of freedom, but in the end, it is the only kind she it's has. It's a poor kind of moonlight. It's a poor kind of freedom. Yeah, you're right. Which is so yeah. good. Because it, it draws back to, the like, the silver spoon when she was holding it. It, it was yeah. earlier, and she's like, she doesn't need this kind of silver. She needs something big and round like the moon. And she jumps into the knife rack, gets impaled on it, and she turns back to her woman form. And so uh, Swamp Thing, uh, she says to Swamp Thing, uh, take me outside. I don't want to die indoors. And Swamp Thing carries her outside. And everyone's just like, oh, my God, it's a, mo- it's a giant swamp monster, holy woman. But uh, none of them stop him as he put, lays her down in front of the moon. And she does ask, was her husband all right at the end? That's the last, like, mm-hmm. question she asks him. And he says yes, and she says good. That's good. Oh, look at the moon. She's so beautiful. And then she dies. Then we cut to... Um, he sees John Constantine. Yeah, John Constantine. He's like, hey, go to Louisiana. And he's like, okay. And that's where we got to our next issue in Louisiana. Swamp Thing, 41. I, I want to bring up real quick that actually the the first issue we read is unrelated to these next two issues, other than it just has Swamp Thing in them. So Yeah, yeah. We, we picked that first one as a bonus because this, two is, uh, this story is only two issues, so we thought uh, let's add in another good issue from... The previous... I thought that last issue was a really cool way to do like a, a one-off kind of issue where you just want to introduce an idea, you want to play around with some concepts, and you want to like conclude the story. And that's the thing is we talk a lot about how modern comics, like usually we do like six issue arcs or things like that, but like back in the day where it was where you didn't get like these trade paperbacks and these hardcover editions and stuff, you could do so much in the limited format of like 22 pages. Yeah. And I miss that a lot. Like some writers still do it, but you get so much out of that story that like, I feel like a writer that's not Alan Moore would probably tell like a three or four part story about like 
women and the like like all his parallels they would stretch it out and it would be a lot less powerful for me that's that's why like phil and daryl don't get why i like older comics more than like modern ones i i really think a lot of newer comics don't get to the point fast enough and i and i think you can do a lot with, with just one page and a more compressed form of storytelling where you just get you just tell get to the point and you you do it using the pages you have available instead of i also think it it's a more powerful metaphor when she's not an existing comic book character, she's not someone that we learn all these specific, specific details about. She is, like, the modern woman. You know, like, she is representing, like, all of society that I feel like the more specific she gets as a character, the less uniformly relatable the, her plot mm-hmm. is. You know, you might say, like, I say I don't understand why you like older comics. I understand why you like older comics like this. It's just that some of them seem so, like, vapid to me that getting uh, to the Blade versus Dracula... Yeah, getting to the point quickly, it's like cool, but this point sucks. So. <laughs> Even in Blade vs. Dracula, I would I much rather have that be one issue than uh, four issues of setting up Blade getting on the boat and then which is what my. I feel like with be. multiple multi-part series, you can really sit down and like do an in-depth look at a problem or an issue or like an event. But my uh, beef is if it's four issues long and it's four issues of, of a mediocre story, we've had issue stories like we've had problems. In modern comics, me and Ryan, where we like the creative team, we like the writing, but then do a story where we cannot conceivably give a shit about. Like one of Joe's favorite runs, they start doing a time travel plot. And he's like, I can't conceivably give a shit about the time travel plot. But then it's like six issues, and you, how do you maintain your attention for six issues of a plot you don't give a shit about versus one issue? I mean, it's it's obviously not uniformly one is better than the other, of course. But like I'm just saying, no, like, no, no, it is one is better. Yeah, it's not, it's not <laughs> slides. slides wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like, like I'm saying, like. Blade versus Swamp, Blade versus Swamp, Blade versus Dracula was lame. I would fucking read that. Yeah, me too. But, but Blade versus Dracula was lame, but it was one issue, and the issues before and after it, I really liked. So I'd rather eat a shit sandwich once in a while oh. than uh, eat a shit hoagie. Whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was thinking of like a like a, a footlong, like a hero. <laughs> the phrase is not "I would eat a shit hoagie." <laughs> No, he wouldn't. He would eat a shit. Not sandwich. yet. Now it is. We're never gonna fucking finish these three. No, we yeah. we have to make memes sometimes, guys. So shit, hoagie's a thing now. Just like magic, not whatever. That was. <laughs> Magical, not topical. Uh, guess what? Not Surprise! This is this story. So, uh, Swamp Thing issue forty-one cover is a voodoo doll of Swamp Thing with pins and needles in it, yeah. and story opens up with uh, narration saying, "What, what do the." What do they think about in the beds beneath the ground? What do the dead people think about? And uh, it switches to a scene of a southern plantation graveyard, and it slowly goes and enters the actual plantation. Did you notice that Jimi Hendrix has a grave in this graveyard? Does he? No. (laughs) He does. Yeah, and then a guy sings a Jimi Hendrix song later, so... There's that. Wait, and and you see that other one is total something, isn't that with that last author's or the, the last book? inker? Yeah, yeah, he's he's dead. <laughs> they killed him and replaced him with his other inker. But the uh, camera goes from this grave in, through the graveyard into the plantation, and you start getting of uh, um, uh, narration illustrating a scene where uh, you can tell it's a black slave owner saying. Uh, not a black slave owner. A white guy who owns black slaves. Yeah. He's a black slave owner. Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> not a black slave owner. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, you, could tell, you could tell he's a slave owner, and you could tell he just walked in on his wife having sex with a black man. And he, he says, like, Charlotte, you are tainted. You are repulsive. Do you understand repulsive? That thing you consort, have consorted with is lower than an animal. Between you, you found the name of Roberta Land. You are no longer fit to bear my children. And... 
Uh, she's protesting, and uh, he says, Now, Charlotte, he has often said that we're no, all no different beneath the skin. I propose you put that to the test. Take this, teacher, take this creature downstairs to the cellar and flay it. The, sl- the slave is begging, please don't do this. I didn't mean it. She asked me to do this. And while, while these speech, these narration boxes are happening, what's ha- uh, what's being drawn is the plantation in modern times where it's all run down, cracked, and yeah. uh, overgrown. And it's slowly going through the house and it's going down the stairs to the place where they strung up the, the slave. It's a very, like, Tales from the Crypt kind mm-hmm. of, like, camera pan in. Yeah. So you don't see any of the visuals of these people uh, whipping this black man, or the, you don't see any of these visuals. All you have is the narration. Uh, they flayed him, Sly. Yeah, they didn't whip him. They took his skin off. Yeah, with a knife. <laughs> yeah, they were the Boltons, apparently. George R. Martin didn't invent flay. <laughs> George R. Martin invented everything in history. That's why he represented it. <laughs> but, uh, so, and then it cuts to... Uh, it shows a date and says uh, July 25th, 1985, Feast of Papago, which I don't know what that means. Probably Papagui. Since it has so much references to uh, voodoo magic, I assume it's something. Yeah, it's, it's very like Louisiana, so I assume that's some kind of. Uh... Papa Lo Legba. Lo Papa Legba. You get this uh, uh, decorative stuff on the side of the dates, like a snake and then uh, like this old, kind of like sh- shaman looking guy. Yeah, yeah, you get that like New Orleans kind of motif yeah. right away, and so we we have Abby talking Swamp Thing, and basically she's like, I don't trust this John Constantine. He's just like, I don't trust this John Constantine either. But he told me he's like, he told me to uh, come here, and I guess I'm gonna come here. And uh, well, this is actually where they live. They live right around here. Oh, that is okay. Never mind then. Yeah, well, because before in the last issue, John Constantine was like, uh, Swamp Thing's like, I'm not following you fucking around anymore. I just want to go home to Louisiana. And John Constantine's like, LOL, here, go to Louisiana. Yeah. Because, like, Abby knows some of the people in this story from work. Yeah, she says, like, uh, there's a movie, the place where the plantation is, they're having a movie being filmed there, and they're having... uh, It's a big new soap opera, actually, Sly. It's not a movie. It's a show. But uh, they're having uh, sl- uh, people, descendants of the slave, actual slaves from that place playing the, the actual ancestors in the, in the play. And uh, Abby says, uh, so like all the descendants of liberated slaves are earning good money by becoming slaves again. Is that funny or sad? And Swamp Thing says, it's human. I love that a lot. Yeah. And then uh, she talks about like, I, I, know, I know it's great you can teleport from place to place. Now that you can kill yourself and reborn yourself as vegetation in another place. But I feel like... Um, I'm becoming you're becoming disconnected. Like now, now since you know, like we said, like he, he had a human body because he thought he was human, and now he's just now he can be like anything he wants to be. And he's like, she's like worried about it. becoming disconnected, and he says, "I am changing, Abby, but I know that whatever I change into will always love you. The disquiet that you feel is unnecessary." And she says, "No, it's human." Yeah. We cut back to the plantation. The and, post, the post where the guy was flayed. Yeah, and there's blood everywhere, and they're checking uh, the blood, and this, and the, the guy checking says it's human. Well, it's not like puddles of blood. They're like century it's old. Dry, it's dried blood on the wall, on the pole. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, the two people checking it out are the two, two of the actors in the soap opera. And one of them is like, um, basically, he's he's uh, uh, he's like a kind of like he's an SJW. Yep. He's an SJW basically. <laughs> and the woman is like uh, not racist, but like a little bit. <laughs> she's pretty racist yeah she she doesn't even want to be in the same like scene they have to have a, a double for when they're gonna kiss yeah that's true <laughs> she's pretty racist the liberal is talking to the to the woman saying well, we need to clean up this place and she says I wish to clean up some of the extras 
And uh, he says, Angela, you know it's incredibly racist comment. And she says, oh, so I'm racist, but Carlton's Black Power stuff is okay because he's black, right? Honestly, Richard, everything he says, you just slap it up. It's pathetic. And I like his response. Oh, now look, that's really oversimplifying a complex political situation. And she's like, oh, God, grow up. <laughs> and that's kind. Of, that's still kind of like how the conversation goes nowadays. <laughs> One person's like, it's complicated. Another person's like, no, it's not. It's fucking, they're black. That's blacks. what I love. Seeing just like Alan Moore do like a really good take on it. And it's like, how is this happening 30 years later? This yeah. guy is also more nuanced, though, than, like, a typical just, like, SJW kind of guy because he does have a lot of his own prejudices and, like, he's so convinced that, like, I can't let anyone see that I'm racist that, like, he goes so hard the other way. You think? That, like, yeah. I, oh, I okay, mean, we'll get it. We'll get it. We'll get it. Because you got to keep jumping ahead. So, um, <laughs> sorry. So she's, like, I, she says, I get a stand-in for the physical scenes and then we immediately cut to the black lead actor who says, I don't, I don't care how big she is or how good she'll be for this series. That woman is a sow and a bigot, and I ain't touching her, understood? A so sow. We, yeah. <laughs> he, does, he does comment I mean, on her weight again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, he, basically, he basically wants to stand in, too. Yeah, and, but, but, and he doesn't even want to do this show, but because his career is kind of in the shitter. Because he keeps doing cocaine all the time. Yeah, they're really later on, he keeps doing cocaine, so he's just like, I got, he just tells him, like, you, you have to do this fucking soul problem. You have to, like, you have no choice. And uh, for one panel... They're, they're talking in the rundown estate, and he sees it, the uh, the black lead sees it as, like, prettied up again. And then it goes back yeah, to it, being rundown. So it's some, yeah. something's happening here. Yeah, that's when they bring up the, the, the coke stuff, because he's just like, oh, you want coke again? Because he's so spaced out while he's imagining it as the old estate that the agent thinks he's on coke, hallucinating again. So we cut to uh, the uh, them rehearsing their lines with the director, and uh, the black lead is angry, saying, uh, "Forget it. You know, listen. Either that line goes, or I go. I'm most powerful. Sorry, Mister Becca. Geez, you seriously expect me to do this step and fetching stuff?" They're arguing about the lines and how they're kind of like, you know, they're kind of like it's uh, lowly, stereotypical. Uh, yeah. Oh, please, all law master, like in the fucking Teen Titans issue we read. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now more like only a hack would write a fucking story like that. And, <laughs> <laughs> While working at DC, yeah, fuck you guys. But um, so he, they, 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 the director's like trying to appease him, saying, "Oh, don't, don't worry, we can maybe uh, rewrite the lines. We're still in the early phases." And but then uh, they have another flash to the old days uh, of the plantation when it was fresh and uh, uh, new, and they're in their they're in their old clothes too. Like yeah. the 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 black actor now is like in very like raggedy clothes, and the woman. Is in like a petticoat with a an umbrella. Yeah, it's like similar to what she had on before, but just a little different. Yeah, yeah. and and then, then the, the black actor uh, uh, looks to the woman and says, "You you look so beautiful." And everyone's like, "Wow, uh, uh, that performance is really great." Uh, and but they they ignore the director and everyone, and they keep going with the scene, saying, "The woman says, those are not proper sentiments for someone of your station.'" And the black guy gets to his knees saying, Miss Charlotte, I- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to speak out of churn. You have, you're going to have to tell the master about this now? Uh, no, no, that won't be necessary. And the doctor's like, wow, these lines are so great. Except your name's not Charlotte. Yeah, yeah your name's not Charlotte. Where are you getting these names from? These are actual names in the script. We change the names for the soap opera. It's not fair to anyone, remember, guys? And then he snaps out of it when the liberal guy comes over. He's like, hey, good lines. And he's like, don't call me my man. He said, he said Billy, my man. He says, don't call him my man. That was a hot performance, bro. <laughs> Us call folks don't say that anymore. But Billy, you you know I don't mean to appear patronizing anyway. And he's like, just shove it, okay? And, you, and he's like, I'm gonna get me some sleep. Something's away from you, turkeys. And he walks away. And then the guy goes, "What is it with those people?" <laughs> yeah, like that's what I mean. Is he wants 
all the black people. He wants to be the, like, I am the, like, educated, you know, non-prejudiced liberal. But then as soon as, like, the slightest conflict happens, he's like, oh, you know black people, right? Yeah, like, he's trying to be the man above it all, but uh, deep down, like, when push comes to shove, like, he snaps back to uh, an old mentality. Yeah. And and she, and she says, like, uh, uh, he's like, geez, what's wrong with those people? And the woman says, maybe he, he just got tired of you being such an ingratiating liberal jerk all the time. You know, for once, I sympathize with him. And uh, this is kind of, like, showing how she, the first time where she's kind of warming up to the guy. Yep. Yeah, they're they're clearly switching roles as the liberal guy is going to be playing the slave master. Yeah, yeah. and so we cut to uh, Angie and Swamp Thing, and they find a dead bird. This is my favorite part of the whole book. Uh, Swamp Thing takes uh, takes the dead bird into his body. Before it's not even dead when they find it. Yeah, it's like it's like dying, but he says like, uh, "Just let go of the flesh of the pain. Fear not, for the universe is kind." And he puts the bird inside his body. And the woman's like, and Angie's like, oh my god, I, Abby. Uh, Abby <laughs> is like, Abby is like, Charlotte. Oh, is it dead? Alec, Alec, what are you doing with it? And he says, placing it inside me, that I might absorb its riches as it decays. Death shall nourish life, and nothing shall be wasted. Is this incomprehensible to you? And she's just like, no, no, that's what I like about living with you. Something new every day. <laughs> And this is like, a, but this is like an interesting thing about this about the series: the idea that like with the the, the werewolf one, that nature um, is like it, it's it's very fair in how it handles things. But human beings, we we feel like we have to step in sometimes, yeah. and, st- and stop the natural flow of things. This yeah. this like this just every time that Swamp Thing was in, even though I said he's like a side character in all these issues we read, like every time he was in the scenes, I was so interested in him as an earth elemental i didn't even know i I didn't know what he was at all when i started i mean swamp thing and sandman to me are very comparable in that like the main character is kind of a delivery method for interesting stories right and like you called him an observer you know i think that's definitely a good way to put it and they also like in um, sandman and this too like sometimes they don't butt in unless they have they feel like so sandman's not like spider-man's villain right no (laughs) (laughs) i I think the bird thing is really cool because it shows a lot of times in like any pieces of media in order to show someone's good you have to do like something like really urgent or like you know you save someone or stop a villain but here he's just he stays with the bird until it dies and it's like it's a very small but like beautiful and kind moment that shows you how like how deep his uh pathos is yeah so we come back to the uh, this, uh i'm not sure clarify every time they cut back and forth to something abby usually a time jump and now it's july 29th and they have, uh, I think this, is, I think these are times that were, uh, like the anniversaries of when they happened in history, because it says offering a food to Matrice Silverine, offering of flowers to Matrice Lorvana. I think these are oh, yeah. historical moments. Yeah. And so, they're they're preparing the estate. It's uh, it's getting cleaned up, and uh, there there's extras everywhere, like making a feast and they're like that's weird they've been sleeping outside isn't that crazy yeah and, and abby points out like oh the extras are acting weird like i, I know them because i live around here but everyone's just acting uh, different now i also i have this i love this line with the liberal guy he's like i'm having trouble with the character of the slave master thinking like a racist is so difficult <laughs> that's what I, that's what i meant before like he's so obnoxious about how not yeah. racist he is that like obviously you're racist but the black guy says, what, you think thinking like a slave comes any easier for me? And he's like, Colin, that's not what I meant, and you know it. And they're just like, oh my god, please stop it, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who would have thought like, so many racial issues would be happening in this fucking story about a plantation? But, um, <laughs> yeah. and, then, 
great transition here where they're like uh um like all right richard richard's the liberal guy and then yeah. it cuts to him in his old uh overseer getup with a yeah, whip. He has a flashback flashback to the past and like he's imagining himself in the overseer getup and he's like you resent how dare you you're not fit to speak to I'm me gonna say the right way you resent? How dare you? You're not fit to speak to me. You're not fit to lick my shoes. It isn't your place to resent anything. He starts whipping uh, the slave actor. Now, and... I was actually a little confused by this. Is he imagining this? He's imagining the whipping, but not the yelling. Yeah, the yelling is real, but when when uh, he snaps out of it, he okay. turns to the, the, the black actor saying, what happened? I, I didn't mean to hit you like that. And uh, uh, Billy, the black actor, says, hit me. What is it? Some kind of head trip or something? Hit me of what? And basically, to show like the whipping was fake, but yeah. the yelling, everyone saw that. And the director has the same thing. He's like, "That was such a fabulous performance! Wow!" But why do you call it Roberta Land in the show? It's Providence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, the swamp thing passes by, and um, he's like passing through the graveyard, and he notices there's salt uh, uh, scattered around everywhere. And he's wondering, like, what? like patterns, like they're like. Uh... It's like the voodoo thing. Yeah, like, like in Hocus Pocus, they do that, right, Sly? Yeah, yeah. Fuck you. But uh, but, he, but he's like thinking back. To, and this is why the bird is relevant because he's thinking back to the bird, saying the bird was allowed to die and decay inside of him. But uh, he feels like the the, the the bodies buried here are all still restless, and spirits are still. Um, they weren't allowed to move on. Yeah, they weren't allowed to move on. And so another time jump, August twenty fifth. The house is fully restored. And the uh, director points out, like, that was really fast. And he says, I guess it's like patients in hospitals. Some places just have a will to, re- to recover. Which is cool because the Swamp Thing in the last pan- or in the last page says, like, across the field, the renovation continues. Decomposition running in reverse as if yeah. towards a new birth. How long will this strange pregnancy endure? And it, it's like the, the house itself does seem to be, the estate seems to be. Giving like, new life. Uh, yeah, it's like a yeah. sentient, not sentient, but like it's alive. And there might yeah. be something yeah. beneath the ground that might be. Giving like getting a new life too. Maybe. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so the liberal actor he's talking with the director and he's talking about them doing spirituals out here and he says these people they have they have good jobs good prospects but stick them out here and they revert to type and the director's like uh, Richard uh, who are we talking about and he says why the colored of course who else will we be talking about and the director's like uh, Richard don't you mean the extras and he's like sure the extras isn't that what I said and he walks off and. The lead actress catches Billy, the the black actor, doing blow, doing lines of coke. <laughs> it's basically the same conversation he had when he was like, "Don't tell the master about it." But now it's yeah. like, "Don't tell the director or my manager that I'm doing cocaine." Yeah, and the uh, the lead actress, like before, she's like, "This is black guy, fuck him." Now she's just like, "Don't worry, I, I won't, I won't tell." Um... I won't tell you one. She says, like, you should stay off the stuff, too. Like She you... says, I'd hate to see you become a slave to this white junk. I love yeah. that line. I love it. <laughs> and then uh, he accidentally calls her a Charlotte. And she's like, by the way, my name's Angela, but no problem. And she walks off. Yep. Uh, so then we cut to August 29th. And uh, Angie... Uh... Abby. It's Angie, right? Abby. 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 <laughs> so we cut to Abby. Uh, she meets one of... Abby normal. One of the people playing this, the extras. Who she knows already. Yeah, she knows already. And uh, she's dressing like uh, the cliche, like, uh, what, what's her name? Aunt Jemima. <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Butterworth. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of uh, outfit. And like she's kind of in a phase until uh, Abby. She's uh, pouring salt into these, like, runes into the ground. Yeah, and um, she's kind of in a trance doing that until Abby interrupts her. And, and she's just like, oh, sorry, I didn't recognize you. Mistress. Mistress, and then uh, she's like, "Why are you putting salt?" Is and she's just like, "Did the film crew tell you to do that?" And you're like, "No." Uh, 
and she's like, I feel like something I ought to do, you know? And and uh, Abby goes back to Swamp Thing. She's like, it's so weird. Everyone's acting so weird. They're pouring salt ruins in the ground. <laughs> yeah. And she tells Swamp Thing, we, we should go this night. Like, I feel something is going down there. And Swamp Thing is just like, oh, uh, if you are concerned, we can go there now. And she's just like, um, aren't you going to say it's too dangerous and I should stay here or anything? And he's like, I have too great a respect for your strength. The idea will be ridiculous. And, and she's like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Ridiculous. <laughs> and like playing off the last issue, like when she was like, you know, I'm expecting to do all these traditional woman roles. And something's like, that's stupid. And here he's like, he doesn't even fathom, like, why would I do that? Yeah, this, this was crazy to see. Like, a, a superhero basically say to his uh, female companion, it's like, hey, let's go together. Yeah, but, but, but I find yeah. the point that is just like, oh, I'm, I'm glad you respect my power, but I really don't want to go. <laughs> yeah. This yeah, it's cute. Magic voodoo shit. This next scene is crazy, because now, like, everything's in full swing. There's this some kind of, like, festival feast going on, and, yeah. like, everyone's, all the extras are having, like, bonfires, and um, the director's like, what the hell's happening? And, and the actors, like the, the liberal actor playing the slave owner, says, "Where's Angela?" No, he's, he says, "Where's Charlotte first? Yeah, he's like, "Where's Charlotte?" I mean, Angela. Like, "Where's Angela?" And he's like, "Oh, she's inside with uh, with uh, Billy." He's like, "She inside together." And he takes two slaves. So you, you two, come with me. He snaps at them. Two extras, yeah. and they're like, "Right away, Mister Wesley." Slaves. <laughs> <laughs> but two actors playing slaves. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're getting into their roles, so they. They're, this is method acting to the extreme. No, Sly's <laughs> saying when you put these people in in their old place, they revert to type, right, Sly? Fuck you. yeah. He's the he's this the SJW character is actually Sly. That's what the uh, he's a Sly Justice Warrior. <laughs> but we cut to the inside the house and um, Angela and Billy, the two lead actors and actor uh, and actress, are like they're really close on the couch. Yeah, they're having an intimate moment, and he says. Miss Charlotte, I'm so afraid. And she's like, just hold me, William. Nothing will ever happen. I promise you everything will be. And then uh, the actor playing the slave owner walks in and, and says, well, what have we here? <laughs> and um, and uh, he says the lines in the beginning. You, you are tainted. You are repulsive to me. Do you understand repulsive? As uh, Swamp Thing uh, enters and sees all the craziness going down. And, like, it's it's crazy. Like, there's, people are, like chanting by the bonfires they're cutting the throats of chickens to like for the for the feast yeah, or yeah. for some kind of voodoo stuff and everyone's like, and Swamp Thing and Abby are like something fucked up is happening here yeah yeah, yeah. And, and the fact they start saying the lines uh, they said in the flat, in the early first pages you could tell the sequence of events happening and, the, you could, and it's kind of like a despair mode where you know there's nothing they can really do to stop this chain of events from reoccurring yeah yep. and so uh, the people are cutting chickens or fu- they're they're doing all these crazy stuff, and then the issue ends with them tying uh, Billy to to the post that the first actual slave got uh, flayed, and they blindfold him. And the slave owner says, "Now shall we begin?" End of issue forty one. So uh, issue forty two, uh, part two of the story. What happens in it, Daryl? Uh, on the cover, it is Swamp Thing looking at these hands coming out of the ground, and Swamp Thing's on fire. <laughs> and there's zombies everywhere too. Yeah. And and John Totalbin is back. He's not yes, dead. Oh, he yeah. just just like the people, like his grave, he was raised. <laughs> yeah, so the Inker has come back from the dead. Even, even in the, the creative crew, uh, Al Moore is subtle and nuanced. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's, like, it's just so, so crazy. Uh, Alan Moore does like all these little... Whenever he starts an issue, he does like a kind of... Uh, like an exercise. He's, like, he stretches his... 
similar to the sea captain in the blade versus uh dracula one he gives like a little bit of flavor and life to just a miscellaneous part or character that's somehow thematic overall to the issue yeah so it it shows the side view of uh, a coffin and there's a skeleton inside of it and it says a century of staring at the ceiling longing to stretch to yawn without the jaw falling off longing to rub the cobwebs from your sockets with yellow knuckles and it's talking about like how the skeletons just just waiting and waiting there and i like the line um generation of generation of beetles pass before your unblinking gaze you watch the rise and decline of their miniature dynasties making up names for each character often repeating yourself and it has dual narration it has this narration showing what he's thinking and at the same time it says he tried and tried and tried but it was no good he couldn't sleep and last pay a panel is a skeleton moving in the coffin yeah I love when artists repeat panels just because I feel like it's so like a movie could stay on a shot for a long time. But a, like a comic panel is so intentional, like you had to keep either redrawing it or copy pasting it that it shows the passage of time like really well. Mm-hmm. And then we get the, like this uh, big page, like a two page spread of um it's basically describing all these zombies coming back to life and what it's like to come back to life because they're not zombies in the sense that they want to go and eat brains it's like people that died that are now alive again they have been unable to rest this whole time and now finally they're like we can we can find freedom they say yeah yeah so that they're celebrating they're reuniting and it's like some want jobs some want homes some want a right to vote the unimagined majority only want revenge he says I like how, like, old enemies embraced his friends. Like, imagine, like, people who hate each other, they finally rise from the dead after, like, 300 years. Yo, did you see those Beatle dynasties down there? Pretty <laughs> sick, right? They're like, hey, long time no see. We're alive. <laughs> like, hey. And so they're all rising from the grave, and then we get the the name of the comic, Strange Fruit. Uh, Swamp Thing talks about how uh, the land here is, it feels something in the land here, difficult to describe, as if a pattern has been etched upon this place by emotions so fierce and caustic that they burned their imprint into the soil itself. A pattern of salt. <laughs> uh, so what happens next, Daryl? Um, all the zombies are rising from the dead. And? And? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to read and what not to read. Read it it's, all. It's so much easier to do the narration when the writer is bad. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're like, this is all nonsense. But with Alan Moore, you're like, this is... Yeah, you're like, wh- which are the really cool parts that you want to talk about? But what happens next is they meet the Aunt Jemima character, right? Yeah. that well, Yeah. And she, she's she's basically just been uh, laying the salt down to keep them out. But now, like, she, she messed up and... The wind uh, blowed the salt away. Yeah. We get, we get some cool drawings of some just, like, real gnarled zombies... Yeah. Some of them look like total skeletons, and some of them look kind of recenter. Yeah. Yeah, well, they talk about that they, some people were, like, recently buried in the plot. I just didn't expect so many people recently to, to be there. Because there are a lot of people that are, like, or zombies that are kind of still there. Yeah. Still formed. Then we cut back inside, and it's the, um, the liberal guy just finished flaying uh, Billy, and he's having the his two the two extras uh pull the lady back yeah they're straining her she's freaking out she's like he's alive oh god he's still alive and in the background it's like a rainbow of colors there's blue there's green there's yellow there's pink there's orange and it's like swirling about them it is, it is it, crazy. it's real kind of like dreamlike 
And actually, the crazy colors that Daryl talked about are in order of the visible spectrum. It's Roy G. Biv <laughs> back there, so you got that. And then when it comes to the next picture, there's blackness in the background. It's actually, no... one other thing I want to say about that is it's actually it ends at indigo, but her dress is violet. So, like, she fills out the visible spectrum with her big southern belle dress. Hmm. I think that's just, like, a cool effect. Alan Moore, hmm. you did it again. Alan Moore, <laughs> thanks for that. Thanks for thanks for that Easter egg for all us science nerds. <laughs> but Abby walks in on this. Uh, she uh, she and she see, she opens the door to the basement, and sees all this going on. Yeah, and she's you know, saying the house it's changing. What's going on? And <laughs> the liberal guy says, "My God, she's wearing trousers." <laughs> <laughs> Charlotte, is this some friend of yours? This woman who dresses like a man. And Abby's like, "Who's Charlotte? What's going on?" Yep. And the, the the Charlotte lady is still freaking out over uh, Billy getting skinned. And she takes, she says, she skinned him. She skinned him of this and takes a knife from him and he takes it back from her. And he calls her, give me that back, you adulterous slave loving. Uh, and Abby's just like, oh my God, what's going on? What's this place done to you people? Abby's like, what the fuck is happening? Your name's Richard Deal. You're an actor. None of this is real. And he goes, is that so? And he just plunges the knife into her stomach. Yeah. And then <laughs> I love this line. Come out. Come on, let's go and see what all those that screeching and hollering outside is about. Those savages are kicking up a fit to wake the dead. Yeah. <laughs> and then it cuts to a scene with... Uh, the Aunt Jemima holding up her salt and saying, Oh Lord, oh Lord, I'm sorry, I'm too old, I'm too slow, they're all awake. Is yeah. it racist to keep calling her Aunt Jemima? Maybe. <laughs> Aunt Jemima is based off... She's a, a racist caricature of like old slave women so and she's like put into this role where she's now acting like a slave woman so like yeah. guess we're in the clear it's a little racist but it's okay <laughs> <laughs> it, says, it says us four white guys what's the archetype called like a mammy i think yeah like Something. she looks like I that like if you don't want people on the boy calling her Aunt Jemima. so what does Aunt Jemima do <laughs> <laughs> she runs into someone she knows among the dead her father <laughs> And then he, she's she starts crying and she's like, "Oh no! Like you used to call me a pretty, uh, you used to call me pretty when I was a little girl, but now I'm all old and ugly." I actually, really and... love the scene because she's just like, "Oh, why did you have to go wake up and see me like this?" And, and she's just calling her sweet, beautiful Alice, beautiful baby. Let's go together. And I think it's and, a really cool, sweet. Uh, and sweet they mentioned yeah. that they mentioned that they didn't have enough money to give him a proper burial, so they buried him in the slave yard. Yeah. And I guess that's what they're... By having lots of younger zombies, I guess that's saying, like, this is still, like, a poor neighborhood that, like, the black community here hasn't really risen, like, you know, to the level that they would have liked. After that's what I love were, about yeah. that, that line earlier on where Abby said, like, isn't it crazy that the descendants of slaves are playing slaves for money now? Where it's, like, it's... It's, it makes sense why people would do it because they're locals. If, if you don't have, the, if you're poor, you don't have the money to leave your town. But like, and you would take that kind of job. But how fucked up it is that this society basically has put you in a place where your kids and their kids and their kids are going to be living in the same town in the same shitty environment. Yeah, uh, marg- marginally getting better. I love that Alan Moore does this like this through such a personal like quick lens. Then being like, look how poor these guys are. You guys get it. Yeah. yeah, like reconstruction didn't work, and like, again, again, how crazy this is as Swamp Thing is is insane to me. Like, this is a story about like we're talking about this like, racial stuff, but it's just this swamp monster watching zombies walk by. It's like you know, I, I was about to bring up it was this point where I was reading the story. I'm like, wait, what? It's like, what is going on? Like, what? <laughs> what is happening in this story? It's a bunch of zombies rising from the dead, and in, they're they're reuniting with like, uh, or at least one of them reunites. 
Well, spoilers, what's, what's happening is the zombies are recreating what happened to the plantation the first time where they rose up and killed the master for flaying that guy. Yeah, yeah, if you look at the, the two-page spread earlier, he says all they wanted was liberty. That much was unanimous. Freedom. And as ever, they knew where they must go to ask for it. So, like, they're all going for the master here. So, originally, the slaves b- tried to burn down the plantation, and ne- and because it was rebuilt, the spirits of the slaves, who were also kept in with, like, the salt and all, like, the voodoo rituals and stuff, are now trying to overthrow the plantation for good this time. Well, I, I knew that. It, it just seemed like it was a really weird thing, because they're going to stop the, uh, the, the liberal that's playing the slave owner. I'm like, but... <laughs> It, it's kind of dumb to ask why is this happening when we just finished an episode about a werewolf coming out of a woman's mouth <laughs> that's based on menstruation. But for here, it was like, it seemed like the house or the land was part of the problem. And they were using the salt runes to keep the zombies in, but the zombies are all good. I think you just got to take it as a more abstract thing and be like, it's, it's, it's an abstract experience, uh, like, reliving this past. Yeah, I, th- I think... Because it's, like, a racial issue, I was just trying to think through the lens of, like... What's going why on? Why <laughs> is this... Ha- like, what is he trying to tell me about race? I think he's supposed to say, like, racism is still... Like, like, like Phil said with the uh, people acting out their ancestors' roles, I think he's supposed to say, like, how much society still hasn't progressed in a lot of ways. I, I, this is why I'm glad that we kept the werewolf issue in too because i think what he's going with with these two stories is we could put a nice dress on it it could look nice but the issues are still very similar like the the societal roles that we put on people they might not be exactly the same they're better but they're still pretty much like the same concept yeah yeah yep yeah how like i mean people talk about this a lot with reconstruction um obviously everyone lives in high school but it's like you know, the freed slaves might be free, but if you can't read or write, you don't have the money, you are legally not allowed to leave your state without paperwork, you're going to work for your old master for, let like, no money, and now have to pay your own rent. It's like, yeah, we're better now, no slavery, but the societal conditions are not too much better. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens next, Daryl? What is going on, as you quietly asked? <laughs> it, cuts, it cuts back to... Uh, Abby, who was stabbed, and she real, she says, this isn't real. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't feel wet. I'm not really bleeding. And she grabs the knife, and it's like a trick knife where when you push it in, the blade goes into the handle. So yeah. she's like, oh, because, you know, it's supposed it, to be It's fake. a movie prop. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the Charlotte's still freaking out about it. Because and... they, flayed, they flayed the black guy. Yeah. Yeah. But Abby's like, no, they didn't. Look at the knife they used. And she, like, pretends to stab herself in the head. And then the uh, the liberal guy, slave owner, is uh, at the f- front door with a shotgun. And the zombie hordes are uh, waiting there for him. fire everywhere. And he starts to realize, um, don't you, like, God, you're like children. Don't you realize this is 1842? Now get back to your homes before I open fire the way I did the last time this happened. And he starts getting confused. He's like, they can't be right. This hasn't happened before, but I remember firing on the crowd. I hit a woman in the stomach, and then they, then the blacks attacked me, and I fired the other barrel, but there were too many of them. They beat me to death. Oh, God, where am I? And his eye color changes yeah. from blue to brown, so obviously he's back to being that liberal guy. Yeah, and the, the zombies say, uh, you, you are back in the place of pain, Wesley Jackson. We're all back in the place of pain, because the pain cannot be buried and forgotten. The pain cannot remain in the past or hidden beneath the soil. That which is buried is not gone. That which is planted will grow. 
there is a weed that thrives upon neglect and flourishes in darkness. Untended becomes a tree of night, and its bows sag beneath the unbearable weight of what has brought forth. And he's like, what do you want with me? And they want, we want our freedom. And if freedom, if freedom is, not- is not given, then we must all repeat this night of pain and suffering until freedom comes, even if that takes forever. The dead have forever. And Slave Hunter says, you can go to hell. Yeah, because he's like, this is my land. So he, go, he goes back. He into... goes back and forth, I think. But like, a lot of times they had those like moments of clarity, but the, the, the spirit like pulls them back. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, he says, you can go to hell. And Swamp Thing comes back and says, you're already there. All of you. You must break this terrible cycle. The pattern you laid down so long ago has grown to a maze that traps the living. And uh, we got save one is still like fuck you and shoots at Swamp Thing with his shotgun. He thinks he's some kind of like voodoo creature, yeah, aberration. Yeah. yeah. And Swamp Thing falls into the fire, and then uh, Abby comes out, and uh, the the slave owner just starts fire, opening fire on the zombies. And Swamp Thing's like enraged by seeing all this violence. He goes, "No, I will not allow this evil to continue." And as he's saying this, he he's burning to death, kind of death. <laughs> And he runs into the house. Well, technically, yes. Yeah. yeah. That body's death. And then he's he just starts running through the house on fire to burn it down. Yep. Saying, yeah. If the bad tree is to be destroyed, you must not bury its fruit. You must burn out the roots. And so he ba- he basically just completely destroys the house by burning it down. Yeah. And then reforms in its ashes the next day. Yeah. And uh, and they're, 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 all people, townspeople are, are like looking back on this bad hallucination they even view the Swamp Thing as part of hallucination and and he says like Abby tells Swamp Thing like oh you shouldn't show up because then they, they, it's better they just think you were just part of the, the dream it cuts to Angela and Billy and yeah. she's like Billy Billy my love you're alright it's me it's Angie and he's freaking out and he sees he, he sees his own skin on his face is peeled off and she's like oh god this nightmare this horror I looked into the heart of it Billy and it, it knew me I knew what it, it. I knew what I was, and and it knew what I was too. And oh, Billy, I don't want to be that way anymore. Everything feels so different. And he looks down at his own body, and all his skin is flayed off. Yeah. But I think we know that it's not. It's just he's stuck for right now in that. Yeah. He, he thinks yeah. it to be true. Yeah. They say Swamp Thing asked that they were not the only casualties, and she says the director is in profound shock. He couldn't even talk, and he's just like he's curled around a camera. Yeah. <laughs> or a spotlight. Oh, wait, and, and the liberal guy dies, right? Yeah, the liberal guy... Uh, yeah, he was in the house when it burned down. He ran into the house when it started burning. And somebody says, perhaps it found some convenient, convenient finger hold within him, some handle by which he could be dragged in deeper. So I, I guess it's supposed to symbolize that that part of the basic part of him that he tries to act super liberal to cover up. Uh, when, it appealed, when it got appealed to, uh, he embraced it and couldn't let it go. Yeah, because he, like, he really couldn't let go of that the the character of Wesley Jackson like this is my home whatever. yeah yeah just another actor lost in a role bam <laughs> bam <laughs> okay what the fuck happens in this last oh, two pages I forgot about you this get, you get a two page joke this is so weird this was about weird. A, a zombie that stole a van and then crashed the van and then he shows up at a movie theater and this guy's basically just talking to him. It's like, we need you to take this job. You have to be here and you have to s- sell these movie tickets all day. And it's like, it's, it's a really cramped little box. You got to sell a lot of tickets and the zombie's like, it'll be fine. When do I start? <laughs> and he's like, it's a it's a 24 hour joint. You might be in there a while. And he's like, all week. And he's like, no, I mean like, you know, a long stint without a meal or bathroom break. 
But he also yeah. says like, "It's like that's fine." The guy's like, "No, I'm poor, whatever you like." And the guy says, "Listen, I like your attitude. You don't whine about conditions or union stuff. You don't make workers like you anymore. In my other business, we use ten guys like you." And, <laughs> and he um, says, "I think that could be arranged." Yeah. This is my box and my own little window. These are my tickets. And he's like, uh, "Right, listen, I gotta leave. Dinner date." Like they say, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. And then he looks and it shows the zombie's like ugly face. And he's like, oh. You see the zombie for, for uh, clarity for the first time. And he's like, oh, forget it. Yep. I gotta go. Jeez, is it that late already? I, I, I hated this page when I first read the story. Reading it again, I do think this is commentary on modern workers. where. Uh, but it seems so out of place. It does, yeah, but it is it very valid to be like... How many people now expect their workers to work on unbearable conditions and work for free? And basically what they're saying is, man, I wish workers today were like slaves, like in the old days, when we could get uh, people just do a job. And when not- you say they, are you saying the guy who works there or Alan Moore is saying that? Some people want that. It comes across as a joke because you look at like the previous page, it's like all the faces, all the things they're saying about like, It oh, is a man. joke, but it seems like a, a tongue-in-cheek observation on the modern day worker. I think I kind of like it. A lot of people, uh, business owners, they expect they, they make their workers work overtime without pay. They make them work in unbearable conditions, and they make they make they treat them poorly. And this is a, this is like a joke, but when I read it again, I think I, I can get what Al Moore is going for. Where, like we were talking about things in the past repeating, like 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 if slavery were available again, how many workers now deep down would really like to have that kind of labor freely available? I I felt like this left a bad taste in my mouth. Just this, this weird because it it kind of came out of nowhere, and it's just like, haha, look, this black zombie is like a slave. He's gonna sit in this little. Booth I'm on and... Daryl's side. I think it it detracts. Imagine this instead ends on that one big page of the of Billy looking down at his flayed body, and and then it just ends instead of. I, I definitely get it because I felt I, I, like I said I felt this way the first time you guys read it, but I think read it again. I get it more what Almore is going I, for. I, it kind of seems, at least it seems like to me, like you're twisting your own view to turn this, to spin this into a positive, where I think the first impression... No, but like, is... uh, maybe it's because, like, now we're talking, when we were going, discussing it again, and we're talking about how the past repeats, and now I'm seeing that motif here, too. Well, I've read it three times, and I think it's dumb. Well, <laughs> you know what's a good thing? We can all have our opinions. No! <laughs> oh, wait, we're not uh, coordinated. We're, we're allowed to be divisive? Yeah. We're not coordinated issues. What a fucking dumb joke. I like how, I like how you... Why don't you tell me for being so negative and him being so positive? Then I'm positive and now he's just like, no. Agree with me. Fine. Fuck you, Ryan. That's Swamp Man. Yeah, so... Swamp Man and Animal Thing. Reca- swamp Thing and Animal Thing. And honestly, when you guys always talked about Swamp Thing and Animal Man, I'm like, these are the dumbest fucking names. What could this even be about? But well, maybe, Phil, maybe this is, uh, should be a lesson. Every time you talk about something and you say, the name alone, they think it must be dumb. Maybe you should have an open mind and say... Phil's learning to be less prejudiced. <laughs> Swamp Thing taught him something. Yeah, like, seriously, like, <laughs> you, you, you put so much value in a name. Like, names can be personally weird. It's like, some people... Yeah, give, Phil, would a rose by any other name still smell so sweet, dickhead? But, but you have to admit, when something's called Swamp Thing, you're like, oh, yeah. let's talk about, men, like, women's problems and racial issues. Well, he's, maybe it's because I read so much comics, but a lot of times, people, a lot of comics will... Purposely name their comics something stupid. No, they make stupid shit, and then someone, a good writer, comes along and it's like, I can make something great with stupid shit. Because you said that Swamp Thing was made to be like a creature from the Black Lagoon, and that's it. And Alan Moore was like, I'm going to make this cool. So so Swamp Thing was intended to be a generic fucking swamp monster, but someone like Alan Moore comes along and is like, I can make this social commentary. I just don't get why you are always swung up on names. I just don't get it. Because a name's the first impression. I could see yeah. him getting this mad if Phil was like, 
Elmore Swamp. No, no, because it's so close minded. It's the most the definition of judging a book by its cover. The definition. I, I've never. That is true. That is true. I've never okay. met anyone who's called by a Phil, and he Phil's supposed to be a fucking <laughs> literature okay. person, and he's slide, so close. Slide. Let me let me propose something. You say you can't judge a book by its cover, but imagine the book is a, a stick figure drawing of a. So, so Phil's old. saying, but right now is arguing you can't judge a book by its cover. He's literally saying close yes, minded is a trait, a value, of virtue. <laughs> no. Fuck you, Phil. No, you can't. Seeing you can't a judge name, a book. It gives you an impression. It's no, it does not always. Swamp Thing. You said yourself, Swamp Thing is bad. And you're saying like otherwise can come in and make it better. No, we but, didn't know what to expect from Swamp. So, but you know, Phil yeah. said I expected dumb things. Phil said he expected dumb things. I expected it to be a swamp monster. Yes, and it was a swamp monster, but maybe there's more to it than just a swamp monster. Let's read Swamp Thing number one then next week. <laughs> no, but my point is, people have worked on these books for like 30 f- fucking 40 years, and now you're, you're going to take the out saying, oh, other people made it better. So maybe, how about look at this? Maybe, uh, uh, maybe good things can be done with a good product. Maybe, don't be so fucking close minded all the time, you fucking asshole. Okay. Like, <laughs> anyway, you're laughing at me, but it annoys me so much to have a guy, every time I talk to him, always say, it sounds dumb, I won't read it. It's annoying to me. Okay, I ne- I do read it though, right? I do. Re- I read. I read shit like Doctor Strange and that names that are stupid. But you're like, it's the writing is good, the characters cool. I give it a chance. I'm saying that these names originally when they made them are cheesy and the, they they belie the depth that lies below. Like like Swamp Thing sounds like it's a generic ripoff of a swamp monster, and it turns out to be a lot of social commentary. I'm just saying these these things like they're cheesy names, and you can do really great things with Fantastic Four. I, 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 I'm just tired because every time I, I, I'm sick and tired of always having to feel like I have to justify things that I like because Phil's always so close-minded about it. It's like, that's <laughs> what being a nerd is. That's like the whole thing. That's I know, but do. I'm just kind of tired of it. Especially also, com- comic names are generally, like, not great. Yeah, he, he's generally apprehensive of comics. It, it's it's harder for him to be like, hey, this thing's good when it has something that has a silly name, even if it is. It's good. not It's not just me, right? Daryl, you've heard Swamp Thing, and you didn't think it was going to be, like... Yeah, again, you know. I I thought, like, I didn't know what to expect. Knowing Alan Moore was attached to it, I'm like, okay, I'm right, looking that is... forward to reading this. If I didn't know anything about this beforehand, I would have read it being like, you know, this is, Swamp Thing would, would have been similar to, like, the Dracula issues we read last time, where I'm like, I'm just expecting a silly comic story. Instead of, like, an observational story of... This is just a, it's probably just a personal thing because Phil does it every time and like, I don't know if you do every time Daryl but Darryl, Phil doesn't matter what the title book is if it's fucking like <laughs> always, everything I suggest everything I believe is dumb Phil's always right I'm just stupid <laughs> well, well it's hard when you have stuff where it's like Ryan's like he goes into space and gets raped by a satellite <laughs> yeah <laughs> for a thousand years Phil like Phil likes weird shit all the time, but if I like something that's remotely weird, it's, it's fuck me. Like I'm a yeah, but Sly, do we make fun of Phil for weird shit he likes? No, we don't. Yes, you yeah, what? Do. Fuck you, Sly. You can't tell me you don't. <laughs> yeah, well, you like the shit you like is fucking like uh, Dynasty Warriors and garbage like that. No, you're, <laughs> you, I mean you make fun of every single weird anime that could actually be cool, but you're no, like I, I, I make fun of them just troll you, but you fucking oh oh wait, them. so wait. You control me, but when I make fun of you for Aquaman wearing a bra or Ant-Man being stupid, it's like, I'm obviously trolling there. I don't think Ant-Man's actually dumb, but when you're like, he, uh, he's so cool, he can turn into an ant and talk to ants. It's like, I remember thinking that, I ha- like, I have to make fun of Sly. I have to make fun of Sly for this. Okay, guys. Recap okay, page. Is... No, do this you... is... <laughs> do you regret reading this book? No. No. Are we all in agreement that it was pretty great? It... Yeah. I again, I I didn't like the second story as as much as as much, or did you dislike? But but do you regret it? Oh no, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Is it as good as Nemesis, Daryl? Nemesis is way worse than this. Nemesis is worse than a lot of the books. It's just I had way more fun with it than something like the Dracula (laughs) stuff. But this this is actually like it's pretty meaningful, and I feel like even though in the second story, like I I was really I got kind of caught up on 
that you turn the liberal guy into the racist and then the racist girl into the the like the lover of the black guy it, like I, I just didn't know what he was trying to go for there and when you guys were explaining it's like oh it's secretly bringing out and showing it's like well your racist tendencies like you, you could secretly harbor them even if you think you're meaning well but at the end of the story like it was it hinged a lot on him repeating the same cycle and I just wish he brought that more into the story about like that guy or like maybe that was his house or maybe he was like proud of his heritage or it, it did something to connect him to the past because it just seemed like that guy was being really heavily manipulated by the house. Just because he was there. Just because he was there. And even if he had those tendencies, it didn't do enough with the pages to establish that. Like, instead of showing when Billy was doing coke, why not do something to be like, have him say more of those things where he's like, what's wrong with those people? Because it, it's weird when you introduce him and you put him up against someone that is more racist than him, than him immediately. Uh, spoilers, uh, Daryl, everything you just said is what I felt when I first read this issue. This is why actually I suggested it above the other uh, Swamp thing we, we were planning on doing it, which is more, uh, I think, except like less controversially good, I guess. And uh, then uh, when I was reading it, Phil and Ryan gave up reasons why I like it better, and now you kind of swing it back into my middle position where I do think <laughs> they could have done a little bit more to establish that that guy was a secret racist. Yeah, I, I just wish there was That's more because I felt like there was an excellent, there's like a, this beautiful kernel of a story here that could talk about the repeating the past. And like when Phil was talking about that the people didn't move far away, but that was that was thrown away in just like one line about how her dad was buried here. It wasn't really something that Alan Moore specifically invoked. No, but it, it's it's common of small towns. Like when when Abby says like, all the descendants still like they they hire locals to be extras it's like it, it's implying that these people are not you know there's not a lot of social mobility here and that's that's it's very common in small towns for the je- same generations of people to just be living but you in the could same also place. look at that they wanted to stay close to family just like how when she saw her dad they were having a good time and they just wanted to be free and party and celebrate like it wasn't necessarily they were being held down as much as that they they just like being around each other just like how it's like old friends and enemies ended up hugging when they emerged from the ground. Like, it, it didn't seem to be condemning the actions of the past as much as it was like... It, like, when the zombies rose up, it was like this weird celebration of, we want to be free, so we need to get rid of this house. Which means that we need to get rid of this slave plantation guy that was being in control of the house. Who was not a racist, but kind of was inside. It just... I felt like the the werewolf story was way more clean and coherent, and I liked its narrative like uh, beats a lot more. I, I felt like it was it was a lot easier to understand. Uh, I mean, I do agree with you that the first one was better, but I, I in no way like dislike this story greatly. I just wanted cool. more from it, but it was it was it was good. And this this is this is what I'd want to see if something tries and doesn't meet my expectations it's like i want this level of quality and says something where it's like oh yeah well <laughs> storm kissing uh dracula <laughs> like, was like, pretty uh, good daryl said he rather has something try and succeed so yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i rather have something try and succeed and try and fail That's no, I, I didn't feel like this succeeded i like i wouldn't call this like a success i just think i, I wouldn't call it a failure either I don't know. Okay, I th- I think I think we've said enough. Yeah, but th- yeah. this was definitely this is one of the best. We've oh, read. Ab- which, yeah, which surprise! It's Alan Morgan, so now like the two best that me and Phil have been on for. <laughs> yeah. So real quick, uh, a letter. This one comes from Twitter. Is uh, is it fair to judge a superhero by its name? 
uh, see 20 minutes ago. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Fuck you guys. Okay. So, uh, real quick, I just want to thank... I recently asked people to send us pictures of their collections, and they're really cool. So thanks, Matt and Gabby and Malcolm and Owen. And I want to start using the Divisive Issues hashtag. So when you tweet at us, use hashtag Divisive Issues. And check out all the other shows on the Comrade Radio Network. And rate and review, subscribe, all that stuff. So anything else, guys? Recommendations? Yeah. Do you have anything to recommend? Yeah. I have a very quick one. If you like Abby and Swamp Thing and want to read another more modern run with them or see Abby kind of reinvented as a badass instead of a, like, supporting relationship kind of character, I recommend Scott Snyder and Yannick Paquette's New 52 Swamp Thing book. It's released – it's collected in one gorgeous hardcover, and it's awesome. You should read it. Uh, Phil? I actually – I don't know if I've read anything like this that I was like, you should – like it's it's a very it was a very unique story to me so I would have to just re- recommend like other Alan Moore like read V for Vendetta or or Watchmen. yeah I'm I'm recommending cool. to myself to read Watchmen again <laughs> yeah okay. Watchmen's so fucking good what about you Sly my recommendation is uh, Marvel's like you thought Swamp Thing was dumb what about Marvel's attempt at a Swamp Thing character called Man Thing <laughs> <laughs> what no don't judge it Sly it, and this book is good. called Giant Size Man Thing and people look at that book and say <laughs> want to see my Giant Size Man Thing. But uh, to also bolster that point that Phil, Phil's saying, fuck dumb names, fuck Swamp Thing, fuck Man Thing. Dumb I never said <laughs> fuck Swamp Thing. <laughs> but uh, to bolster that point, now you're saying fuck Man Thing. But Man Thing was, it started out as another Swamp Monster story. And Steve Gerber, the guy who created Howard the Duck, he turned Swamp Thing, in, he turned Swamp into the nexus of all realities. Uh, basically a place where all dimensions meet. And he made it more about the Swamp Thing being a defender of this realm of existence from other other uh, other realms, and he made a more trippy story. And and just to bolster how good Steve Gerber's run on it was, uh, Neil Gaiman and other writers said their their uh, their stuff was inspired by Steve Gerber's Man Thing specifically in a lot of mm. ways. So uh, fuck you, Phil, for judging another book by cover <laughs> right now, Man Thing. How, how do you know I judged it? Because uh, you were like, oh, Man Thing. Oh. I didn't say that. Yes. <laughs> my recommendation, Phil, go to hell. Yeah, my recommendation is Phil, go to hell. <laughs> But yeah, guess guess Steve Gerber, uh, Gerber's man thing. It's in its own uh, trade. Get it? I'll get okay. It. So thanks for joining us. We've been divisive issues. I'm a disposable douche. I'm Aunt Jemima. I judge a book by its cover. <laughs> and I've been the anger in the darkness, turning unreleased, unspoken. Its mouth red wound. Its eyes hungry for the moon. <laughs> Stay in continuity. Independent Podcasting Network.